Amen. Well, we are in Joshua. We are in Joshua chapter 16. And today we're going to be talking about a certain theme, which is exercising faith. And I do want to share this with all of you. As we've been going through the book of Joshua, we know that as we've been talking about the inheritance of the land to the 12 tribes, the Lord has been giving us several lessons. And He's been giving us the lessons with the various people that we've been introduced to. And today, what He's going to talk to us about is what I mentioned about exercising faith. Something that Joshua wants us to do. Something that he, I'm sorry, not Joshua, something that the Lord wants us to do. And we know that Joshua actually encouraged the 12 tribes. He encouraged actually two tribes to exercise faith. And this is what we're going to be reading about. Because I know that God wants each and every one of us to exercise faith. God wants each and every one of us to walk in faith. To walk in faith when it comes to Him, to His Word, and to His promises. I want to read this to you from Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says, For without faith it is impossible to please Him. When it comes to the Lord, walking by faith is pleasing to Him. When it comes to the Lord, we are to be a people that completely trust in Him. And I want to share this with you because it's not very easy to do. See, we've never met God face to face. We know that we've never heard His audible voice. But yet we are a people that are called to believe and to trust in Him. And this is what's so amazing about Christianity. It's amazing because, see, we are a people that have surrendered our lives to this God that we've never met face to face. And see, and this is what's so amazing about it, right? We've never heard His voice speak to us, you know, His audible voice speak to us one-on-one. -on -one. But yet, we have been called to believe and to have faith in Him. And as it goes on to say in Hebrews 6, 11 verse 6, it tells us that He is a rewarder of those who believe. Look at what it says. It says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, as we have been called to live by faith, and we know that it is impossible to please him without this faith. Know this, that as a people, we don't walk by sight, but you and I walk by faith. And this is what God wants to speak to us again, what, what he wants to speak to us on today. And really, it is this faith that the saints of old were set apart. Because when you think about it, right, when you think about the saints of old, when they walked by faith, it really set them apart above the rest. And it was because of their faith, we know that God was able to work powerfully. Even though many of them did not see the things that they believed in or the things that they believed God in to be fulfilled, but yet they walked by faith, and they trusted in the Lord. And we know that as they did this, that God moved powerfully through each and every one of us. And one thing that we know, that God wants to move through each and every one of us in the same manner. He wants to move powerfully through us as we walk by faith. And so as we talk about this, I want us to know that this whole message today is going to be about faith. And I want to talk to you about this, as we read Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2, it says there, now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. 
when you look at the saints of old, it wasn't their works that pleased the Lord. It was actually their faith that pleased the Lord. This is how they obtained a good testimony. It was the faith that they had in the Lord. And this is what they, this is how they obtained a good testimony. And we know that this testimony is written here in the Word. And this Word lives forever and ever and ever. As we read last week, as we come back to Joshua here, I want to read, I want to remind you as, as to what we talked about last week. We talked about the inheritance, right? The inheritance that, that the tribes were receiving. And we talked about, you know, how Judah was the first tribe to receive this inheritance. And as he was the first one or the, the first tribe to receive the inheritance, we know that as we get, or we're going to get into chapter 16 and chapter 17, and we're going to read about the inheritance that both Ephraim and Manasseh received. See, when we look at these two chapters, the two chapters of chapter 16 and chapter 17, they have a very common theme. And the common theme that, 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 uh, that we've been talking about is faith. And this is what God wants us to speak on. When it comes to Ephraim and to Manasseh, why is it that these two tribes received an inheritance instead of the tribe or instead of, of, uh, of Joseph? When we look at the 12 tribes, when you look at the tribe of Reuben, one thing that we know is that when it comes to the firstborn of the Jews, uh, the firstborn always received a double blessing. And so Reuben was supposed to receive a double blessing, but we know that because he sinned and he slept with, with, um, with wow, I can't even think of his name, Isaac, and what's his son's name? Jacob. Isaac and Jacob. When, I, when, when, when uh, Reuben slept with, Jacob, uh, with Jacob's stepmom, we know one thing is that you know what? It disqualified him from the blessing that he was to receive, the double blessing that he was to receive. And we know that the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Levi actually re didn't receive an inheritance because their inheritance was the Lord. And as they didn't receive this inheritance, it left really a, an extra inheritance to be given out. And we know that Reuben disqualified himself from the double blessing. So it was really the sons of Joseph that received a double blessing. And this is how Joseph was blessed because of, of his faithfulness. We know that he remained faithful to the Lord even through slavery, even through, even through uh, prison. You know, he remained faithful to the Lord. And in his faithfulness, we know one thing, that God used him to save the world from a famine. And we know that in saving the world from a famine, he also saved the people of God. He saved the Jews. He saved Jacob and the 12 tribes. And because of this, you know, Jacob decided to bless Joseph. And, and he used his two sons to receive the inheritance when they would go into the promised land. One was Ephraim and the other one was Manasseh. And both of these were the sons of Joseph that received the, double, that, that received the blessing. As we begin to read, let's go ahead and begin to read here in, in uh, Joshua chapter 16. And as we read here in Joshua chapter 16, we're only going to read the, 
the, four verse, the first four verses, and then I'm going to show you the map of Israel, the map that we've been showing in these past few weeks. So let's read verse 1 of chapter 16. It says, The lot fell to the children of Joseph from the Jordan by Jericho, to the waters of Jericho on the east, to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains to Bethel, then went from Bethel to Luz, passed along to the border of Archites at Adaroth, and went down westward to the boundary of the Jephthahites, as far as the boundary of lower Beth-Haran to Gezer, and it ended at the sea. So the children of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim took their inheritance. Let's stop here. As we see this, I want you to know one thing, that we have a description really of the land or the inheritance that both Ephraim and Manasseh received. If we can put up the map, the map so you can see where Manasseh and Ephraim are. As you can see, they're above the inheritance of Dan and Benjamin. You see there Ephraim, you see Manasseh, right below Asher, Zebulun, as well as Issachar. You also see to the right, you also see here, there Manasseh also. And I want to clarify that because, see, half the tribe of Manasseh received their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. And the reason they wanted this is because they saw that the land there was extremely great for all of their sheep, their cattle, their herd, their livestock. And so they asked Moses if they can receive the inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. The other two tribes that did the same was Gad and Reuben. As you can see, they're all on the east side. We know that this wasn't God's perfect will for his people because God's perfect will was really for the people to inherit the land of promise, which is Israel, which is on the west side of the Jordan. Today, when you look at Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben on the east side of the Jordan, that is actually now the nation of Israel, uh, the nation of Syria, as well as the nation of Jordan. So as you see, it wasn't long-lasting because, see, this wasn't God's will for his people. God's will for the people were to be in the land of Israel, the land of promise. As we go on to read, let's go on to read verse 5. It says there, the border of the children of Ephraim, according to their families, was thus, the border of their inheritance on the east side of Adaroth. And it says there, Adar as far as upper Beth-Haran. And the border went out toward the sea of the north side of Mithah. Then the border went around eastward to Teanath, Shiloh, and passed by it on the east of Jenoha. Then it went down from Jenoha to Adaroth, and Naarah reached to Jericho and came out at the Jordan. The border went out from Tapua westward to the brook Cana, and it ended at the sea. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Ephraim, according to their families. The separate cities for the children of Ephraim were among the inheritance of the children of Manasseh, all the cities with their villages. And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraim, Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. So we see here, we see here really the distribution to Ephraim. And as you look at the distribution to Ephraim, you see a couple of things here. 
not so much about the land because he's talking about the borders that they receive. But I want to bring your attention to what it says there in verse 9. It says that the separate cities for the children of Ephraim were among the inheritance of the children of Manasseh, all the cities with their villages. Ephraim actually received some cities that were there in the land of Manasseh. And the only reason why they received this was just a reminder of how both these tribes were knitted together because they were brothers. And so they received some of the land that was there just, just to remember to, to bring these two together because they were brothers. And then the other verse that I want to bring attention to is really in verse 10. It says, and they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. I want to share this with you. For the tribe of Ephraim, this was a fatal mistake. And I want to share this with you because, see, the instructions from the Lord to all the tribes were that they were to completely destroy the Canaanites, all the various tribes that were there in the promised land. But what you see here is that the Ephraimites did not do that. They actually allowed them to, to live there and they paid tribute to them. So in other words, they received money from them. And really as a sign of submission to this tribe. But see, what this reminds me of is really the fact that if you keep bad company, it corrupts good habits. See, what happens with this is that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. When you look at the Canaanites as they dwelt there with the Ephraimites, with the tribe of Ephraim, understand this is that they eventually grew and they eventually destroyed many of these people. And how did they do that? They did this because of their idolatry and they did this because of their sexual immorality. See, what happens is, is that as people allow these things to be amongst them, they become very desensitized to it. And as they become desensitized to it, we know that they slowly begin to participate in it. I want to give you an example of this. And I just had this happen to me because, or I just experienced this or saw it as I came from New York. I was in New York this past week. And I was there in Times Square. And when, you know, we were there, I was there with, with uh, uh, we were there in, in New York and we were going to go to a restaurant, and so we had to walk through Times Square. Have, have any of you been to Times Square here? So you're going to know exactly the things that I'm talking about. You know, when I was walking there, and there were crowds of people. As you know, there are thousands and thousands of people there in Times Square, and everyone is walking to get from one place to the next, whether you have a job there, whatever it may be. But there are thousands and thousands of crowds of people and when you walk through there, right, the first thing that I began to notice was just the people, how they were dressed and the signs that they had up. And, and one of them was actually had a sign up saying, you know what, I'm going to tell you the truth. And this was a sign. This is exactly what it said. It says, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm asking for money because I want to buy drugs. I want to buy pot is what it said. And I thought to myself, wow, you know what, I mean, you know what, people, I mean, for me, I looked at that, and I, and I was grieved by it, right? And I was really struck by it, right? And, 
And then as I kept walking, right, as we're walking to the restaurant, the next thing really blew me away. And I, I didn't know what it was, right, as I'm walking there, right, and we're walking, and, and I see there's a girl there on the corner, and she has a sign up. And I didn't read the sign because as soon as I saw what I saw, I turned away. But this girl was completely naked, and the only thing she had on was underwear. And people aren't doing anything about it. People are walking, right? And people don't even have a second thought about it, right? And she, had, she painted her whole body with red, white, and blue, and the only thing she had on was underwear. And I, as soon as I saw that, I turned away, right? And the guy that I was talking to, I said, I was like, wow, look at, I mean, I can't believe this is going on. He says, oh, you know what? It used to be worse before. And I'm thinking worse. Every corner we walked to, there were the same girls that had signs up. What they said, I don't know. But see, the reason I bring this up to you, see, because someone like myself that isn't experienced this, right? I mean, it struck me, right? It was just like, wow, I can't believe this is going on. But for the people, the people that are there in New York, they're just walking by the women like nothing. They're not even having second thoughts, right? There's some that are taking pictures, right? You know that they're tourists. But the others are just so desensitized by sin, by this. See, and this is what happens to us as we begin to hang out with the world, right? Because, see, as you begin to hang out with the world, nothing really shocks you. Nothing surprises you. See, and for us, see, this is what would happen, right? As the Word of God says, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. Bad company corrupts good habits. See, and this is what the tribe of Ephraim did with the Canaanites. They allowed them to continue to have their idol worship. They allowed them to continue to, to uh, practice their sexual immorality, and they fell right into it. See, and this is what happens to many of us, right? As we allow these things to happen, we become desensitized to sin. We no longer call sin what it is because it becomes a part of who we are. And we know one thing that I'm going to share this with you, that as you begin to slowly tolerate sin, as you begin to slowly dabble with sin, what happens to you? We also begin to slowly allow it to ensnare us, to consume us. And as soon as this happens, we know that we are enslaved by this thing, right? By this thing called sin. See, this is a warning for all of us as we go through this book, just to remind you what the Canaanites ended up doing with the tribe of Ephraim. Let's go ahead and go on to the next chapter as we're going to be talking about faith. It says here in verse 17, uh, in chapter 17, verse 1, it goes on to read, there was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh. Remember, this is a brother of Ephraim. Actually, Manasseh was the older brother, but we see here Ephraim was a younger and he received the first inheritance. Here we see the tribe of Manasseh. It says, for he was the firstborn of Joseph the older, namely for Macher, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war. Therefore, he was given Gilead and Bashan. And there was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh, according to their families, for the children of Ab Abiezer, the children of Helek, the children of Azrael, the children of Shechem, the children of Hefer, and the children of 
Shemida. These were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, according to their families. So as it begins there, there was a lot for the tribe of Manasseh. And then it talks about Maker. Maker, as you can see there, he was actually one of uh, one that was there with Manasseh. More than likely, he was dead here. But what this is referring to really is to the family of Maker. And as you look at the family of Maker, it says that they had a, 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 a spirit, a warlike spirit. And because of this, the Lord gave them a certain area. And as it says there, he gave them Gilead and Bashan. And he gave it to them because of this warlike spirit, because they could go in there and they could conquer this area. As we keep reading, let's go ahead and read verse 3. It says, but they had the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters. Mela, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tirzah. And they came near before Eleazar, the priest, before Joshua, the son of Nun, and before the rulers, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Ten shares fell to Manasseh, besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons. And the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. What we have here, and I want to share this event with you because, see, it's an important event when we look at, at, at this inheritance that was given out to the daughters of Manasseh. See, Manasseh's great-grandson didn't have any male children. Because he didn't have any male children, he only had daughters. The daughters actually step up and they asked by faith for an inheritance. And I want to read this to you so that you get a better understanding of this. If you open up your Bibles to Numbers 27. In Numbers 27, we're going to read about this. We're going to have greater detail beginning in verse 1. In Numbers 27, verse 1, it says there, Then came the daughters of Zalophihad the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, from the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these were the names of his daughter, Melah, Noah, Hoglah, Milcah, and Tirzah. And they stood before Moses, before Eleazar the priest, and before the leaders and all the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, saying, our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those who gathered together against the Lord, in company with Korah, but he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So they're asking Moses, you know what, our son, our father, he had no male children. Because he had no male children... You know what, does that mean that we shouldn't receive an inheritance? Does this mean that we should be deprived of it? And verse 5 says, so Moses brought their case before the Lord. In other words, he goes to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, the daughters of Zelophehad speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. 
And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brother, then you shall give his inheritance to the relative closest to him in his family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be to the children of Israel a statute of judgment, just as the Lord commanded Moses. See, what you have here is really these women that are protected by the Lord, right? And, and this was a time when, when women really were, were second-class citizens, right? They weren't given any rights, and they were considered to be less than any males. And so what you have here is really the Lord that is what? He's protecting their rights, and he's really defending them. And he's saying, you know what? If a father has no male children, then what you're going to do is you are going to give the women, the daughters, their inheritance. But that's not really, I just wanted to give you some insight there. But what I really want to talk about is really the act of stepping out in faith that they had. See, these women, what they did is they decided to exercise faith, right, in claiming their inheritance. And as we think about this, right, the claiming of their inheritance really is something that God wants to remind us of. See, I want to give you a scripture here. And the scripture is from James chapter 4, verse 2. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. See, you and I have all been called to exercise faith. And as we exercise faith, understand this, is that God will fulfill the promises that he gives us. See, if God has promised you things, understand this. If God has promised us anything, right, we must believe what he has promised. You and I must come to a place of believing the things that he has promised us. See, we are to ask of them by faith. And this is what these five women did, right? They believed the words of God. They believed that God spoke through Moses. And they stepped out in faith and asked for these things. See, and one thing that I know and one thing that I want to share with you is that God keeps all of his promises. Let me share a couple of scriptures with you. From 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Listen to this one. In Hebrews 10, verse 23, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. And here we're talking about the Lord. See, one thing that I want to share with all of you, when it comes to the promises of God, understand this, I have received several promises of God. And when he has given me promises, I have believed them. I have believed them, and in believing them, I continue to ask for them, and I continue to, to, uh, to prepare for them, right? Believing that God is going to answer. See, and this is what God has called us to do, right? Whatever we have, whether it be from his word, whether it be a promise, whatever God has promised you, whatever God has spoken to you, you believe them, right? It doesn't mean that you're not going to ask for them because, see, this is part of believing, right, that you're going to continue to ask for them. Lord, when am I going to receive the promise? When are you going to give me this promise? When are you going to fulfill what you promised in your word? See, you and I must believe and we must ask and we must also prepare for it. And what do I mean by prepare for it? See, whenever there's a, a promise of God 
God wants you to begin to move in the direction of that promise. So, for example, if God has promised that, you know what, that I'm going to do this for you, and, and you know what, I'm going to, let's talk, well, you know what, let me give you my example. And, and you could put in whatever promises God has given you. When God promised to use me to plant a church, right, I began to step out in faith. I began to step out in faith and to make preparations for it. See, I began to pay off all of my bills so that I could be debt-free when I served the Lord full-time. See, and even though that promise wasn't immediately fulfilled, what was I doing? I was constantly asking for it, and I was continuing to prepare for it, believing that this would take place. See, whatever God has promised you, whatever things He has promised you, whatever it be in your home, with your work, with your job, you know, to use you in ministry, you know, with your family, with your children, whatever it is, you must believe it. But you must also constantly be praying for it, and you must also be preparing for it. See, this is that faith that pleases the Lord. See, whenever the Old Testament saints were given a promise, understand this, when the Old Testament saints were given a promise, they continually waited on that promise, asking for the promise, and preparing for the promise because they knew that the promise would come. And this is the same thing for us when it comes to faith. We must believe in it. And as you believe in it, you must continually ask for it and you must continually prepare for it. Let's keep reading. In verse 7 it says, And the territory of Manasseh was from Asher to Michmethah, that lies east of Shechem, and the border went along south to the inhabitants of En Tupah. Manasseh had the land of Tupah, but Tupah on the border of Manasseh belonged to the children of Ephraim. And the border descended to the brook Canaan, uh, southward to the brook. These cities of Ephraim are among the cities of Manasseh. The border of Manasseh was on the north side of the brook, and it ended at the sea. Southward, it was Ephraim. Northward, it was Manasseh's, and the sea was its border. Manasseh's territory was adjoining Asher on the north and Issachar on the east. And in Issachar and in Asher, Manasseh had Beth Shein and its towns, Ibliam and its towns, the inhabitants of Dor and its towns, the inhabitants of Endor and its towns, the inhabitants of Tanakh and its towns, and the inhabitants of Megiddo and its towns, three hilly regions. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. So here again, you have all the borders, right, of the tribe of Manasseh, and it talks about all the land that they inherited. And if you could put up the map again, you can just see this, right? You can see Ephraim, and you can see Manasseh. And you can, he's talking about all of these towns that they inherited. But as you look there, again, we see here in verse 12 and 13 that they again could not drive out all of the Canaanites, and they allowed them to stay there. Again, what is that? Just allowing sin to be there because they were called to destroy them. 
but yet they allowed sin to remain in the camp. And this is what God warned them about, right? They are going to cause you and your children to draw further away from me. But yet they didn't listen. The rest of our time, this is what we're going to spend in, in these next verses. And this is where we're going to talk about faith, exercising faith. As we've been touching the topic, but the remainder of it is really now talking about exercising our faith. As we read here in verse 14. In verse 14 it says, Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit? Since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now. So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the parasites. And the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. But the children of Joseph said, the mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. Both those who are of Beth, Shein, and its towns, and those who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph to Ephraim and to Manasseh. So he's addressing both tribes. And he's saying, you are a great people and have great power. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its furthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. See, as we, ha as we read here, right? As we are reading here, Understand this, and I want to explain really what the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh were doing here. These two tribes, as you can hear it, they are saying that we are a great people, and we are a numerous people, and it says there in verse 14 that we are a blessed people, okay? And because of this, they're saying that we should receive more. In other words, they're not pleased with what they've received. They're saying, you know what? We should receive more. And I want you to know one thing, that Joshua was actually from the tribe of Ephraim. And this is in Numbers 13, verse 8. It tells us that Joshua came from this tribe. So in other words, they want special treatment. They want additional privileges because they're great, they're mighty, they're blessed. And because Joshua also came from their tribe. And Joshua responds by saying, you know what? You are a large tribe. And because of this, I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you a country where the parasites are, uh, are and where the giants dwell. And then what do these tribes respond? They respond that, you know what? No, we don't want those tribes, right? We want more than that because, see, the Canaanites that dwell there are a mighty people and they have chariots of iron, okay? And so what does Joshua say to them? This is what he says to them in verse 17. He says, and so Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Moses, saying, You are a great people and have great power. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. See, what he is telling them to do is he is saying, You are absolutely right. And what I want you to do now is I want you to exercise faith in conquering this land and these giants. See, these people were, to, were called to exercise faith. 
See, they were demanding more, right? They were asking for more, but yet they didn't want to go out and step out and exercise faith by going and capturing and conquering this land. So what Joshua is saying to them is, I want you to exercise faith, and I want you to go out there because you are a mighty people and because you have God on your side, and I want you to conquer the land. See, when it comes to us, understand this. Just like these people, these people had God on their side. You and I have God living inside of us. We have the power of God that dwells in us. You have the Holy Spirit. And as we think about this, right, understand this. You and I have this power like no other. Yet we don't think about this as power, right? We don't think about this is the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, which is the Holy Spirit. See, when we think about the power that we have, understand this, whatever promises God has given you, whatever word God has given you, understand this, that no matter what circumstances are before you, no matter what hindrances are before you, no matter what giants are before you, no matter what iron chariots are before you, exercise faith and conquer whatever God has given you. Okay, this is what God wants to speak to us on. See, this is important, right? Because see, many times we think that these promises that God has given us, that they are, you know what, that, that there's no way that God can do it. See, but you and I must understand that we serve a mighty God, and with God all things are possible. See, what happens to us as a people is that we begin to minimize God. We begin to put God in a box and say that God can only do so much, but God cannot do anything outside of that box. And see, and God has... God can do all things, and God can do great things. And we know one thing, that God can do amazing things through us. As Scripture tells us, right in Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But see, I want to bring you to a verse, a verse that I really want you to focus on and to meditate on and to memorize. And it's from Mark chapter 9, verse 23. See, Jesus was speaking here to a man he was speaking to a man who had a demon-possessed son. And he was talking to his father. He was talking to the man. And he said to him that if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. All things are possible to him who believes. See, God, the Lord is speaking to us individually right now. And he is telling us that as he told this man, he says, if you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. See, I know one thing, that when it comes to exercising faith, sometimes we're like, you know what, God can't do this. Even though God promised me, there's no way that he can do it. There's no way that, that he's going to do that, or there's no way that, that God can do this. See, God wants you to erase all those thoughts that come from the devil, See, because the devil wants to discourage you. The devil wants to, to, to just turn all of these promises into vain promises of God. In other words, empty promises. And whatever promises God has given you, whatever word God has given you when it comes to, to your work, when it comes to your spiritual nature, when it comes to your finances, when it comes to your children, whatever it is, believe it. 
Believe that God can do these things that He has promised. See, what I want to talk about, see, because there's so much doubt that we have, there's so much unbelief that we have, that we need to train ourselves to hold these thoughts captive when they come into our minds, okay? Because whatever unbelief, whatever doubt you receive, you need to hold them captive and not allow them to consume you and to believe them. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give you six points on exercising faith. Because as we look at these six points that I'm going to give you, it's important for us because, see, God wants us to exercise our faith when it comes to His Word, when it comes to His promises. And the only way to do that is really to take these points and to begin to live them out. And I'm going to give them to you. The first one is when God gives you a word, okay, whenever God gives you a word, whenever God gives you a promise, you must believe it, okay? It's simple. It's real simple. And just like I've shared with you in the past when we've been given several points on different things, there's simplicity, but there's great truth and great Great, uh, uh, and there's great things that come from the simplicity and the truth of God. See, many of us, when we receive God's word or when we receive a promise, we must train our minds to believe it, okay? And I'm going to give you a scripture here from Romans 10 verse 11. It says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And the reason I put this here and the reason I give this to you is because, see, I want you to come to a place of believing the things that God has given you, the promises that God has given you, whatever they may be. We rest on these promises. We ask for the promises, and we continue to prepare for the promises. See, when it comes to the Lord, the Lord is faithful with every promise that he gives. Whatever it is, God is faithful to complete them. When it comes to the Word of God, when you read the Word of God and God is speaking you through that Word, believe it because God is faithful to fulfill His promise, to fulfill His Word. And this is what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. It says, He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. It's Him that's doing it, right? And He's faithful to His Word. See, God cannot lie is what the Scriptures tell us. And whenever He promises you something, He is going to fulfill it. He is going to complete it. But you have to come to a place of believing it, okay? You and I must come to a place of believing His Word. See, when we think about the things that He gives us, understand this is that if you believe that all things are possible, God tells us that He can do all things, right? And that all things are possible through Him. See, when it comes to believing, understand this. Believing, it's not a work, it's not labor, it's just a matter of choice, okay? And this is what we must understand. And this is why the Lord tells us in His Word that we're not saved by works, but we're saved through faith, right? Because it's a choice that you make. See, just like every single one of us believes that these pews that you are sitting on will hold you up and they won't fall apart, is the same way that God wants you to believe 
in his word and in his promises. See, we must come to a place of making a choice to say, you know what? God can do this. I'm going to believe him at his word. I'm going to believe the promises that he gives us because his word tells us that he is faithful, that he completes his promises, and that there's nothing impossible for him to do. So we must make a conscious decision to believe. Okay, this is what it means to exercise faith. The next point that I want you to do when it comes to exercising faith is to believe the unbelievable. Okay? You and I must come to a place when it comes to God to believe the unbelievable. Okay? See, when God gave me a dream of the church that I would plant, I believed it. Even though I didn't know where it was, even though I didn't know when it would come, I believed it. When God, uh, when we asked God for a new location, right, I knew that God would fulfill it. I didn't know when, but we were all preparing and praying and fasting for it. See, we believed that God would give us a place, and this is what he did, right? He gave us this building as we were, you know, walking, uh, as we were in the streets of uh, of La Puente in the community center as well as, uh, as uh, Workman High School. But we believe that he would do this, right? We believe that God would bring us another van to go to Mexico, right? And we all continued to pray for it and we prepared for it, right? And what did God do? God gave us another van for Mexico. You know what? When it comes to, you know what? So many things, and, and you guys could put all of your things in this, and to understand that God can do the impossible, right? When it comes to believing, we must believe that God can do the unbelievable, right? That God can do the impossible, I should say. Listen to his words here in Matthew 19, verse 26. It says, but Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. See, we must believe, first of all, in his word, and then you believe also that God can do the impossible because this is what he's telling us. See, we, many of us may have children that are wayward, right? And if God has promised you that your children are going to be coming back, that they're going to be children of God, then what do you do? You believe it, right? And you believe the impossible. Even though you see them completely waver, you're going to believe in the promises of God that they're going to come if this is what he's promised you. If this is what he's given you. See, for us, see, as I mentioned earlier, we cannot continue to put God in a box to say, you know what, God, you can't do these things. Because, see, this is how God loves, I mean, this is how the devil loves to play with our minds. He loves to make you unbelieve. He tries to make you not believe, I should say. And as he brings doubt and he brings discouragement, he keeps telling you that God is not great enough or big enough to do these things. See, but yet God is. And this is what God wants us to know. That This is what God wants us to realize, that he is, that he can do all things, and that he can do the impossible. I want to talk about point number three. Point number three is when it comes to exercising faith, understand this, you and I cannot waver. What God wants us to walk away with today is to understand that do not waver, okay? Listen to what he says here in James chapter 1, verse 6. 
It says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. See, what happens with many of us, right, when, we, when God gives us a word, we're so comforted by that word, and we receive the word, and we believe the word, but then 24 hours later or a week later, we begin to say, Lord, was that really for me? How many of us do this? I think many of us, right? We, we constantly are doing this, right? And we're constantly like the waves of the sea, and and understand when it comes to the waves of the sea, they come with great power and they leave, right? And, and as we look at the way the seas are, they come and they go. And God is saying, stop being so wavering when it comes to my promises. Rest in these promises. Remember I talked about that, that man that brought his son that was demon-possessed? Do you remember we talked about him, right? And, and the Lord says, you know, to, to believe. Uh, to believe that, that, uh, that God can do all things. And as we believe in him, we know that all things are possible to him who believes. He goes on to say in verse 24 of Mark chapter 9. He tells, as, as Jesus said those words from verse 23 that I just shared right now. Look at what the father does after this. The father cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. See, we come to a place, right, of wavering. This is the way we are as people. And the Lord wants us to really come to a place of, uh, 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 of believing. See, but when we admit to these things, right, the Lord is there to meet us where we're at. And the Lord wants us to come to a place of saying, you know what, Lord, at this time I'm at a place where where I'm unbelieving right now, and help me to believe, right? I don't want to be like the waves of the sea that are tossed to and fro. See, when it comes to exercising faith, we must come to a place of not wavering. And if you do waver, it's okay to ask the Lord to help you with your unbelief. And God will meet you there, right? And God will honor that, and God will encourage you because you know that, you know what, I'm at a place where I shouldn't be. I should be at a place where I believe. And see, and this is really a choice, right? Because see, we have made a choice to not believe. And God now wants us to make a choice of believing. And why do we make a choice of believing? And this is point number four. See, because God wants you to know that you serve a great and a mighty God. Okay? See, God wants to share with us today that I am great, I am mighty, and I do great things. Look at what he says in Colossians. In, Col in Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. In Colossians 1, verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven, and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things exist. See, when God spoke to John in the book of Revelation, when John saw Jesus there on the throne, he said, I am the Alpha, the Omega. I am the first and the last. 
See, I am the mighty God. If you have the right perspective on who God is, and God just showed us through Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, that he created all things, and in him all things exist, and they are for his good pleasure, right? He is above all things. See, he is greater than all things. See, and if we have the right perspective of God, then there won't be an issue of us exercising faith when it comes to these impossible things. See, when it comes to the things that God has promised, if we do know that God is great and mighty, then we won't have any issues or we won't have any wavering in thinking that God cannot do these things. See, and this is what God wants to share with all of us is that, you know what, I am great, I am mighty, I am just, you know what, I am the all-powerful, I am omniscient, I am just, you know what, omnipresent, I am all things, right? And if we understand this about God, then we'll know that, you know what, then God can do all things. See, when it comes to this building, all of you know that, you know what, our desire is to buy this building, right? And I truly believe that God has the means to get this building to us, okay, to give it to us. How he's going to do it, I don't know. But I believe that he has a means to do it. See, and I'm expecting something impossible from God. Because, see, this is the way God works, right? God is a mighty God. God is a great God. God is a mighty God. God is a powerful God. God is so great that he does things in his perfect way. And the only way he does them, the way he does things, is really so that he can receive all glory and honor, so that we can yield to him and say, wow, God, you did these things, and only you can do these things because there's no way that we, that it could have been done this way if we were involved. See, and this is why he says, you know what, when it comes to God, I mean, God can do the impossible. And we must believe in these things, right? We must believe in all these things and, and whatever they are. And so, you know, when it comes to believing God, it's important that we understand the magnitude, the greatness of the God that we serve. This way we can exercise faith and we can walk in faith. The fifth point that I want to give you is for us to exercise faith, we must be doing something. And for our faith to grow, we must be reading the Word of God, okay? You must be hearing the Word of God. See, if we want our faith, if we want to exercise great faith, we must be reading the Word of God. And this is what he tells us, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So when we read the Word of God and we see God doing all these great miracles, right? We see Him parting the Red Sea. We see Him bringing all these plagues. We see Him bringing people from the dead to life. We see Him giving, giving uh, hearing to the deaf. We see Him allowing speech to the mute. We see Him doing all these things through the apostles, through the Old Testament saints, through the people of God, bringing Lazarus to life, all of these things, right? God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And as we continue to read the Word of God, as we continue to hear the Word of God, as we continue to see and read the great things that God does, then that only increases our faith so that we can also step out and exercise it just as the saints of old. When you look at Abraham, I mean, how crazy was it for Abraham to meet this God that he never met before, 
that tells them, hey, I want you to leave your land, and I want you to go into this land that you've never been to, and I'm going to make a nation out of you in that land. I mean, how crazy is that, right? And what does Abraham do? Abraham gets up and moves into the land of promise. I mean, this is just, you know what, as you think about this, right, are we willing to exercise this kind of faith? See, as we see this, right, it encourages us to walk by faith, to exercise faith. When you look at Moses, right, Moses, right, who was there, the prince of Egypt, right? And he knew that, you know what, in time past, he realized that, you know what, I belong to the Hebrews. And yet he was, he was up there, right? He was a prince of Egypt. He could have been, become Pharaoh. And yet God asked him, he says, or God told him that I'm going to use you to deliver the people out of Egypt. To think, wait up, I'm the prince of Egypt, and yet you're going to use me to deliver your people, the Hebrews, out of Egypt. And then all of a sudden, he's, you know what, he, he tries to take matters into his own hands, and he goes into the wilderness, and he's 40 years there, right? Forgetting about, possibly forgetting the promise, wavering on that promise, or maybe believing that promise still, right? And then God comes and speaks to him and uses him to do this. And to take out two million people out of the land of Egypt, this is crazy stuff. It's just not anything that is just, you know what? It's just not like taking, okay, I'm going to take all of you and we're going to go. You know, there's a few of you here. I mean, what is there, 40, 50 people of you here? We're going to go into, you know what? I'm gonna, let's go now. Let's go into the city of Walnut. Let's all go. That's not a big deal, right? But to take Two million people out, right? And how are they going to feed them? How are they going to drink water? How are they going to have clothes to continue to change on a daily basis? You know what? This is some crazy stuff, right? But Moses stepped out in faith and followed through with the promises that God gave him. You know, I also look at King David, right? King David, right? To think that, you know what? King David was, was a man that was chosen by God to become king over the people, right? And yet when he was chosen to be king, there was another king that, that ruled over Israel, right? And this was King Saul. And God anointed King David at a time when King Saul was a king. And yet David waited on the promise, right? And he was actually hunted down like a dog, like a wild beast by King Saul. And yet he waited on the promise, and God fulfilled the promise. See, all of these examples that I give you, they're just reminders that God fulfills the promises that he gives us. See, you and I must come to a place of believing the promise. See, Moses may have forgotten the promise, but he must have believed the promise because God used him. Abraham the same way, David the same way. You have, you know what, Paul, I remember Paul as, as Paul was going to go into Asia, right? And, and, God, and the, Holy, the Spirit of God says, no, I want you to go over here to Turkey and to Greece. And little did he know that God was going to use him there, right? But he, you know what, God, he followed God and the promises of God and God used him in these places and God fulfilled everything that he told him that he would do. See, the promises that God gives them 
are the same promises that he gives us. Mary, imagine Mary for you women. To think of Mary, right? Mary, a virgin, right? And to be chosen by God. And God says that you're going to conceive of the Holy Spirit and you're going to bear forth the Messiah. She believed it, right? And, all, and when she believed it, she knew it because her stomach started growing, right? But little did she, I mean, to think in her mind, you know what? I conceived. I know God is telling me the truth. And when she saw Jesus come out, she knew, you know what, as he grew up, you know what, this man is without sin, right? He is God. You know what, I never was with Joseph, and yet I was chosen to bring forth Jesus Christ. God fulfilled the promise that he gave to the people of Israel way back before Jesus even came to have birth, through, to come through the womb of a virgin, See, all of these things, understand this, as God gives us promises, we're no different than these people. You and I are the same, just as they are. The thing is, is that do we believe the promise? Do you believe the promise? Do you waver on the promises? Do you exercise this faith? And I'm going to close with this one. I want you to know this. As we walk in faith as we believe the unbelievable. Point number six is that this faith is our testimony for others to see. Hebrews 11 verse 1 and 2 says, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. They obtained a good testimony based on their faith. See, they asked, and they prepared, and they walked in it, okay? It wasn't the action that was pleasing to the Lord. It was their belief that they obtained the good testimony. See, it is our faith. It is the believing that pleases the Lord. See, when you believe these things, this is what pleases the Lord. And this is a testimony that we leave for others. See, you are have been called to leave a legacy as believers for your children, for your family members, for your friends. We're not on this earth just to pass through it, right? We've been called by God to leave a legacy to glorify Him and to bring honor and praise to Him. And see, as you begin to exercise faith and walk in faith, your children will always remember you as a man or a woman of faith. But see, you must walk in it. See, because they're going to walk in the same footsteps that you walk because you are their example. You are the greatest example that they will ever have, right? Because you are the one that nourished them, that provided for them, that protected them, that, that taught them, that was there for them as they grew up. And they look up to you. And they follow the examples of their parents as well as people that know us and people that see us. See, you and I are to leave a testimony, right? And this faith is what leaves a good testimony for others to see, for others to uh, walk after, and most of all, to please the Lord. See, you and I have been called as a people to bring him honor and glory. And as we do this, this comes through as we exercise faith. See, we want to leave a good testimony behind us. 
You know what? If the Lord tarries and he doesn't come back to rapture the church soon, then you know what? Then we're going to pass on in the next generation. You want them to walk and exercise faith. This is what God is looking for. See, he wants people of faith. People of faith that are willing to, to exercise it and to show others that God is mighty, that God is great, that God can do the impossible, that God can do the unbelievable according to man's eyes. See, you have been called to exercise faith. You exercise faith in church. You exercise faith in your house. You exercise faith in your workplace. You exercise faith wherever you're at. And you will see God doing great and mighty things wherever you are. As I come back to one person, and I'm going to leave you with this example. Do you remember Joseph? Remember Joseph that wherever he was, the Lord blessed. The Lord moved powerfully. Why was this? Because no matter what happened to him, he continued to exercise his faith in God, didn't he? You know what? He continued to just remain faithful to the Lord. And as he remained faithful, what did God do? He blessed everything around him. Even though it wasn't easy, he was always protected, right, by God. God always provided for him. God always did great and mighty things through him. And as we go through these hard times, always remember this. God is always preparing us for a mighty work that he wants to do through us. What he wants to do is he wants to, he wants to just take away those things that are still in our heart. And the only way through to do this is through these hard times. And we know that as he, as he, you know, refines us and, you know what, removes that dross from us, know this, that God is going to do great and mighty things through us. And with that, we're going to close. Lord, I just want to thank you, Lord. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, for reminding us, Lord, of, of how important it is for, for us to exercise faith. Lord, we must believe, Lord, as your word says. Believing in, in the promises, in your word, and in, in the things that you have given to us, Lord. Lord, we must believe the unbelievable, Lord. In man's eyes to us, sometimes it, it looks impossible, but we know that to you it's not. We mustn't waver, Lord, at your promises. And if we do, we confess it and tell you that we're sorry and to help us. We must always look at you as a great and mighty God that does great and mighty things. We must read your word to encourage us and exhort us to do these things. And you're reminding us that as we exercise faith, we leave a testimony for others, a testimony of you. For those of us that are here, for those of us that are here and for those of us that are challenged in our faith, the Lord has spoken. But before I, I pray for those of you that are challenged with faith, I must always give this opportunity of of giving everyone here, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord or 
Maybe you've walked away from the Lord. Maybe you're practicing things that you know you shouldn't be doing and you want to make things right with the Lord. I'm going to give you this opportunity now to make things right with Him, to commit your life to Him or to recommit your life to Him by faith. It's so amazing that we serve and we yield and surrender ourselves to a God that we haven't seen. But we know that as His Word says, He rewards us. If there's anyone here that wants the forgiveness of God, the blessings of God, that wants all that God has for you and you want to surrender yourself to Him, raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anyone that wanting to do this? Anybody wanting to do this? Anybody? I did want to share this with all of you. If there's anyone here that is challenged with exercising faith, and as we saw here that As we saw the example of this man that, that cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. If you are challenged in believing, in exercising faith as we've been talking about, as Joshua challenged both Ephraim and Manasseh, the both tribes, to step out in faith and, and to exercise it and to receive all that God had for them, they doubt it. They challenged it. If you are facing those same challenges and not believing the word of God and the promises of God, what I want to do is I want to pray for you. And for those of you that have these challenges in any promises that God has given you or in the word of God or in God himself, I want you to stand up and we're going to pray for you. Just as this man that said, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. There's areas in your walk, areas in your life that you're doubting the promises of God, the word of God. The Lord will honor, the Lord will honor your humility and your boldness, just like the man, the man that asked the Lord. Lord, you see these standing, and they're standing only because they need you to help them. Lord, they have individual specific promises to each and every one of them. And they're being challenged and discouraged they're doubtful with it, Lord, as we know that the enemy has just brought lies and, and they're believing the lies. Lord, they're standing up because they want you to help them with their unbelief. We know that these things happen by your spirit. I call upon you that you would empower them and enable them And that they would make the choice to believe. Just like they made the choice to unbelieve. Lord, we know that you can do all these things. As they stand up and 
are just asking you to help them. We believe that you will, and we believe that you will honor their humility. Lord, we're all faced with this, including myself. There's certain things that we are challenged with in believing. And I yield them to you as well as those that are standing, yielding these areas to you, Lord, to help us to believe, to exercise this faith, because you are a rewarder of those who believe. And we know that you do all things through those who believe. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the promises that you give us through your Son, the word that we have, because in Him the promises are yes and amen. Lord, we want to give you all glory and honor. Help us to exercise this faith. Help us to leave a testimony behind. Lord, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the mighty, the almighty God. And we know that you can do all things through us. Help us to believe, Lord. We love you. We praise you, Lord. Fall afresh upon us and do a mighty work in and through us as we exercise and as we walk in this faith. We love you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if any of you, you can all be seated. If you need prayer in any of these areas, we have these two that are here to pray with you. And uh, God bless you all as Billy closes us in a final song of worship. And now I'm going to get you all to stand again. Let everything that, everything that, everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that, everything that, everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise you in the morning, praise you in the evening, praise you when I'm young and when I'm old. Praise you when I'm laughing. Praise you when I'm grieving, praise you every season of the soul. If we could see how much you're worth, your power, your might, your endless love, then surely we would never cease to praise you. Let everything that, everything that, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Let everything that, everything that, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Praise you in the heavens, joining with the angels, praising you forever and a day. Praise you on the earth now, joining with creation, calling all nations to your How much your worth, your power, your might, your endless love, the surely we would never cease to praise you, praise you. Let everything that, 
God bless you all.